Hello, welcome to the Science Basement podcast. And today we are talking about something very special. Stephanie, who is our guest? I am very happy to today welcome Dr. Arnaud Proplan. He is an Academy of Research Fellow at the Finnish Meteorological Institute, what we call FMI. And his research focuses on the reactive chemical compounds emitted by plants into the atmosphere and their oxidation reactions. So, welcome, Arno. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. So, can you explain your research in easier terms than what just Stephanie said? Um, I can try. <laughs> so, the air or the, the atmosphere, that the air we breathe, is of course composed of mainly nitrogen and oxygen, but there is this one percent of trace gases, so it's very tiny amounts. But those are the compounds that actually are reactive and make the chemistry happen in, in the atmosphere. Uh, so we're interested in specifically what the plants are emitting, because in terms of carbon, it's actually much more than what uh, uh, human activities are producing. So, so we look at um, what are these compounds, how much they are emitted by uh, different tree species, and then we also try to follow uh, their fate in the atmosphere. So they will react with some oxygens, create different kind of compounds, and then those might uh, land, for example, uh, on surfaces or in water or uh, on aerosol particles and, and so on. So what I remember from grade school when I was a kid is that plants are emitting oxygen during the day and then during the night they are emitting carbon, carbon monoxide. And I remember this one thing from my work when I was very little, like never sleep with plants in your bedroom because it's going to be very poisonous. Is it true or is the entire uh, process more complex than that? So yeah, that's correct. That's kind of the basic functions of a plant. Um, I it's, it's not really my background, so I cannot really tell you. Uh, so indeed, they will emit CO2 during the night because there is uh, no light for the plants to do the photosynthesis. So um, they will not uh, emit the oxygen. But I don't know if it's really bad for you or not. This I cannot <laughs> estimate. But that's, yeah, that's one part. And then what we look at is different compounds that um, are emitted a little bit differently. Some are uh, also require light to be emitted. For example, isoprene is one of these compounds. But also the temperature plays a role. Uh, for example, uh, usually in the winter, the plants are, are have very low activity and they don't emit a lot. And then uh, when it gets warmer, and especially the growth season, so the spring and then the summer, they will emit more. But again, uh, what they emit varies a lot between the seasons. Uh, and like if you have a young tree or a, like an old tree, all this will influence uh, and uh, in my work, we look at very specific, like one branch of one tree, for example. And then the, 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 the issues there is that you want to have something that is representative. So you have to kind of try to get as many, you know, trees as possible. And then there are some other people that look at the forest from a more general approach. 
uh, and not like tree by tree. And specifically the compounds that you're looking at, what consequences do they have? Uh, yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, it, I think there it's still a little bit uh, unclear exactly what every compound does, but uh, there is, I think, some study uh, studies that show that those compounds, for example, are important for uh, the plants to communicate with themselves or to attract, for example, if there is a parasite on a plant, then this plant can emit a compound to attract the predator of this parasite, for instance. Right. So plants can communicate. That's great. Yeah. And about the communication, I'm, I recently read that uh, this is an issue uh, in polluted places because then uh, the human-made pollution is actually uh, disturbing those communication channels between the plants. But this is not my area of expertise, so I cannot really tell you exactly the, what are the bad consequences. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, it sounds like disturbing an electromagnetic signal. <laughs> like... And actually, also, um, I was uh, once talking to a girl who looks at sound pollution, like underwater pollution, and how our activities, like uh, shipping and construction and all that, because of the waves they're emitting, is also affecting or disturbing the communication between animals. Mm. So, you know, our activities affect a lot in this yeah. uh, noise background. Uh, so these emissions uh, from plants, so these specific ones that you are uh, looking at, they, don't, they have nothing to do with the photosynthesis. Uh, this is also not really my 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 uh, area of expertise. Um, some compounds are related to like the growing processes. So, yeah, this is a bit out of my my direct thing. Um, but those are uh, compounds that are synthesized by the plant, and then they are released because of the temperature and also. Uh, it's a similar process, I think, with the with the oxygen of the CO two that the leaves have those small holes that are called stomata, and um, if it's, uh, for example, very dry, those will close and there will be less emissions. And if it's very wet, and because the plant needs also to get something inside, so it will open more. So it's always a trade off uh, uh, regarding the environmental condition and what's the what's good for the plant. Um, and, I, and I think with these this compounds that you're talking about, these organic compounds, we are emitting them as well. So human bodies emit organic compounds. Yes. But do we emit sweat? But, it's, but I think, it, it, this, yeah, I think these volatile organic compounds that plants emit, mm -hmm. we emit. I think they are not exactly probably the same compound, like if you t talk about the structure or so, but definitely the, the body odor is connected to some chemical compounds. And... Um, uh, not directly our bodies, but if you use, you know, cosmetics, perfume, apparently those can also be detected, especially when you have a high concentration of people in a city. You can, like, notice those cosmetic compounds uh, in, yeah. the, in the air. I, I read a research about that, <laughs> how there's a spike on people coming out from going to work because of this stuff they're adding, oh, cosmetic wow. stuff they're adding. And how do you take measurements for your research? So there are different things you can do. Um, well, basically, there are kind of two different approaches. One is the offline approach where you would sample something, for example, in a canister 
are you would pass some air through like a small tube that has like a trapping material and you will trap the compounds you're interested in and then you store this you bring them in the lab and then you analyze in the lab uh, i mostly in my group we mostly use um, uh, chromatography techniques so it means that you will uh, kind of warm up those compounds because they are volatile so if you warm up your sample then they will get emitted and then they enter in this chromatographic machine which basically kind of separates the compounds and then you will get a peak and then you can identify okay this peak comes from you know acetone or these peaks come from isoprene and so on but i can also say is about so the other approach would be the online method where you would have a system that would do the trapping and then the evaporation kind of in the spot and you would have also the chromatograph uh, on the same spot to analyze directly on a very short time scale and with this method you reduce all uncertainties uh, due to handling samples and transporting them and you know analyzing them two weeks after you have actually collected them mm -hmm. because it's not really inert there is always something happening and you want to reduce the, the, the that influence on, on your samples. Mm -hmm. So when you collect your samples and you want to see what compounds you have, um, but what what reactions are you looking at or what parameters are you investigating how they re how they affect your reactions? So uh, in addition to identifying what you have, what processes are you also working with? So we will see um, in our measurements, we will see those kind of what we call the volatile organic compounds. Those are hydrocarbons and often they are referred to as precursors. So this is what the plant emits directly. Um, but then there is a set of chemical reaction, mostly oxidations in the atmosphere that will transform those and produce different type of compounds. And those you can also analyze with different methods uh, and then you can kind of link those precursors and their products and um, and try to understand how you went from one to the other. Right. Uh, one question for me. So, as we all know, our world is completely very different from area to area. Do you deal with... And obviously there are different kinds of plants and different conditions anywhere. So do you deal with a specific kind of plants or a specific kind of environment? So... Um, our research uh, in my group is focused um, mostly on the boreal forest, but not exclusively. So sometimes we have collaboration where we would analyze air samples from other places. I think we had samples from Amazonia, for example. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, inter interestingly is that uh, even though the patterns will change, uh, a lot of compounds are actually very similar or the same. Uh, so I mentioned earlier isoprene. This is kind of like the simplest of those um, biogenic molecules. So those molecules that are emitted by, by vegetation. Um, then we have uh, another set of compounds that is called monoterpenes. And this is um, a set of compounds. So they have the same uh, simple chemical formula. So 10, uh, carbon, 10 atoms of carbon and... 16 atoms uh, of hydrogen but you get many different combinations with those atoms and uh, then you have a set of compounds that are kind of similar but not exactly 
and uh, with our uh, analytical method we can separate them and then we have further with like 15 uh, carbon atoms we have the sesquiterpenes those compounds then start to be um, less volatile so they are and also they are more reactive so those are a bit more difficult to identify but because the techniques are improved well, slowly with time then this is something that now we can analyze directly uh, from 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 the air but what makes uh, what takes together all these compounds is that they are organic right so they will always contain some carbon yes okay uh, so why is it important to study this on these compounds that are emitted by plants? So I think the main motivation is to be able to better um, understand atmospheric processes. And as I mentioned earlier, um, there is a much more carbon emitted from vegetation than from uh, human activities. So, for example, from a modeling perspective, uh, you want to include those processes because they will influence, uh, they will interact with atmospheric pollution, uh, anthropogenic pollution as well. Yeah, and also because of the, because these um, compounds react, for example, with ozone and with other oxidants, and they react fast, so it's very important to be able to, on the other hand, estimate or understand what's happening with the oxidants. Mm -hmm. And now you you are an Academy of Finland uh, fellow, so you got to plan your own research and now are a principal investigator. What is your what now that you have a sort of bigger control of what you wanted to do? How has that changed your research and what is it that you want to do that you weren't doing before? Yeah, the I think the I think everyone at some point in science there is this. You know, you graduate, you get your PhD, and then you might be hired for a postdoc. And then there is this, you realize, oh, like, I always depend on other people. And then you start talking with other people about writing a proposal and getting a project out. And a lot of people do that, and a lot of people don't get found founded. And then when it happens to you, it's kind of like, oh, wow. Now I have responsibility because I have promised to do something and I'm going to hire people. So I'm also responsible for those people to like, like allow them to develop their skills and like uh, that they will contribute to the project so that we reach the goal that we promised. Right. Because now you have a PhD student under your yes. guidance. Yes. And that's also something very new. I always interacted with... PhD students during my like after PhD uh, career, but never as a like point of reference and a kind of supervisor. supervisor exactly. So that's also kind of something I'm learning, and I think it's going quite all right for now. Yeah, that's great because you're a young young uh, scientist, so it's it's great that you have already this responsibility. I'm saying young because we're the same age. <laughs> <laughs> and Stephanie, will we ever become responsible people? No. Yeah. No. Well, I have a dog, so there's. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you actually ever get to do field work during your, uh, you know, during your research experience? Yes, actually, when I did my PhD, I was dealing with similar themes, but I w it was always in the laboratory. So we had. Um, I did my PhD in Switzerland at the Paulsher Institute, and. Uh, 
we the group was known for having a big smoke chamber. So it's kind of like a big sack full of air where you can put ingredients and decide what kind of things are happening and observe and try to understand. So when I moved to Finland after after graduating, then it was the first time I could actually go myself on the field and I went to the Boral Forest. Uh, Where specifically? Hyytiala. It's, oh, uh, okay. it's uh, close to uh, Orivesi, so not to, about 50 kilometers from Tampere. And this is uh, one of the sites that has been developed in the last maybe 20 years with a lot of uh, atmospheric chemistry or atmospheric science instrumentation, but also there is a lot of research done on forestry and all everything comes together and it's quite a unique site with like that has been extre extremely well studied uh, in that respect. Uh, and then this year I went a bit further north. Uh, we were in Lapland for some measurements. Uh, there it was not the forest uh, that was the, the focus, but wetland. So wetland also have a lot of small vegetation and so we were interested in what's happening there. And I imagine that the different the seasonal difference must be huge in Lapland. Yes, so there the, the, the growing season is actually very short. But on the other hand there is a lot more light. So during summer because during summer, exactly. <laughs> During the growing season, there is much more light than in other places. Because actually, should we should probably remind uh, the listeners, especially if they don't come from Finland, that in uh, Lapland works that in summer it's always day and in winter it's always night. It's a very long night. It is, exactly, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's interesting and uh, I don't know if there is a lot of studies done, but the growing season is, is, is relatively short. So it's also sometimes um, like a kind of challenge because you have to plan to be there on time before the growing season but if you have some trouble with the logistics and then you happen to uh, arrive a bit later then it might be too late and you have missed kind of the interesting part of, of, of your study. So you said that it's very short. Uh, do you have any um, uh, estimation of like like you know in terms of like Are we talking about months, weeks, days? We're talking about months. So okay. July is the most active month mm -hmm. for for um, emissions from, from vegetation. Before that, I mean, you can have snow cover in Lapland until like May, maybe even like early June. June. Yeah. And then also in the in the in the um, autumn, it gets cold quite, quite fast. So it's really um, July, the, the main month for, for this research. So you're uh, looking at these emissions that are sort of the, the vegetation waking up in this growing season and emitting, having yes. a peak in emissions. Yes, so that's that's one aspect. And then um, in, in the future, I'm hoping also to uh, see other seasons. For example, in the autumn, you have a lot of litter on the ground. Uh, so basically like fallen leaves and this kind of stuff on the on the fl forest floor. And uh, there is also things happening there. And there are also some emissions. And uh, I'm also interested in the future to look a bit more specifically at, at those. Uh, but actually, okay, wetland are very short plants, right? As you said. So do they, do they emit and what, 
during winter in Lapland, for example, where I assume they're just covered by snow and what, what they emit is like reacting with the snow and not with instead of air? Uh, yes, yeah, so when you have a snow cover, then the plants, um, there is still a lot of, uh, even maybe if the plants are sleeping. are kind of sleeping or not, they are kind of, their metabolism is, is low, I, su- I suppose, there is still things happening. And for example, there is also the soil um, is actually, maybe the first layer is, is kind of cold, but then you still have like microbes and there is still activity in the soil and then probably in the plant and this gets emitted and is actually uh, as far as i know trapped in the snow and because of the cold temperature and kind of the trapping i don't think there is a lot of reaction happening or if they do then they are very slow but then and this is also something that i'm interested in the future to look at is the period when the snow melts and what happens? Do you have like, you know, a burst suddenly or is it like gradually? And yeah, this, uh, I don't know much about it, but those happened, yes. Oh, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. So what kind of changes would you expect if you have, for example, uh, a shorter snow-covered season because of changing climate? Or if you have pests moving to regions that they weren't there before and all of this stress on the plants? How would that affect your research? Yeah, so definitely there has been some um, uh, articles about the expected effects of climate change in in this uh, volatile or in these emissions for, from plants, and uh, it's a very complicated story with a lot of different parameters. Um, on one hand, you have uh, increasing temperatures, meaning more emissions. But then you have also increasing drought, mm-hmm. and this is not good for the emissions because the plants, you know, like close their stomachs. Then you have, for example, outbreaks, like you say, like if there are pests or like herbivores. And um, one thing that happens is that, for example, when uh, there are those herbivores or when, for example, you break a leaf, this actually increased the emissions. There are slightly different emissions than the normal case emissions, but this is also something that, if it happens a lot, it will kind of change a little bit the uh, profile of the emissions. So what kind of compounds are emitted? And about the snow cover, yeah, this is, I guess, something we, we don't really know yet, but... Um, there won't be this kind of protective layer that will kind of store the the emissions during a while and then get emitted maybe at once. So, yeah, there is a lot of different aspects there. Yeah, really complex. We actually had one episode with Federica German on Arctic plants, and I think she was talking about these little shrubs underneath, covered by mm-hmm. snow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the complicated thing about Earth. There's just, you remove one part and it moves a lot, it moves ten other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another aspect is that uh, we expect the vegetation to move like north, Mm -hmm. um, so you will also have more plants. And again, like you might have, like on a global scale, more emissions. Okay. Of course, emissions can lead to aerosols, which is what I'm studying. (laughs) Exactly, yes. Well, but aren't the emissions from plants aerosols themselves? Well, it's because aerosols technically are solid or liquid 
particles, and these are in a oh. gas phase. These precursor oh, yeah. gases. Okay. Yeah, the precursor that I'm looking at, they're exclusively gas molecules. But of course, plants also emit, you know, pollen and like these kind of things. But those mm-hmm. are, I think, they are considered aerosols, but yeah. they are on a different like scale because they are much bigger and you can see them with your naked eye. So that's kind of a completely different story. Yeah, yeah, they're direct primary aerosols. I always like to bring in my aerosol stories. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know, you've also been collaborating with international institutions. So you've been to Japan, which is in your blog, which we'll go into a bit later about your blog. But um, what do you look for in a collaborator? Well, nowadays, science is very much uh, like about collaboration. There is not one person doing something alone in their basement. It's all about, you know... It's all about, I have some skills and you have some, and like if we put them together, like you know, the the total is bigger than the sum of its individual parts, right? So yeah, lo- usually in collaboration, I look of people that would have some knowledge, for example, about a method that I have heard about or I am interested, but I don't have the technical knowledge. And uh, it's much more efficient if you manage to talk directly to the person rather than go to the lab and start from scratch yourself because you can basically learn from other people's experience. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is um, logistics. For example, if you know that there is a group somewhere that has a site and they have the infrastructure and then you can bring something new to the existing infrastructure for like a campaign for a few months or a few weeks. So this is also something that I'm trying to do. It's really interesting to think that as a scientist, you really are a producer of a project. I mean, you really have to think of all this, not just the science, but really the whole production of of instrument, installations, infrastructure, all this. And I think if you move up in the sense of, you know, getting more responsibility, more and more of your time gets dedicated to these aspects like logistics and uh, having meetings and coordinating activities with other people yeah. and less and less in the in the lab. But then there, there are people that you are kind of teaching and giving the skills and then you work always as a team somehow. I have a small question before we start playing. Um, in a very, very urban area, so imagine like a big city with some parks, would the contribution from plants be uh, relevant in such a, in such a, a, a situation? Uh, I think they are, yes. Uh, if, if you have a park um, and you have like, let's say, a city like Helsinki, uh, yes, you can definitely see those uh, emissions from the uh, vegetation and it contributes to the wall air chemistry that is happening around us. So even if we, even if there is a big city, you suggest put parks. Yeah. Because the contribution from trees is, is important and still visible. Okay. Okay, I think we can go and play a bit. Cytegory. Yes. <laughs> so I, rec- I remind the instructions. So we have five categories. Uh, you are now will um, generate a random letter by clicking on that random letter generator. Not yet. 
And we have five categories, as I said, and we have to fill all the five categories with stuff that starts with that letter. And we have two minutes for each uh, round, three rounds in total. And the categories for this episode are number one, what makes an awesome PI or pr- principal investigator, which uh, like is something well, which <laughs> you are and we, it's something that we uh, talked already. Uh, number two, things that react in the air. A lot of stuff to talk about. Number three, things in the boreal forest. And Arnaud, can you uh, remind us what's the area that is covered by the boreal forest? So we know that it, we have some boreal forest in Finland and then where it extends. So it extends basically on the same latitudes, roughly all around the, um, all around the northern hemisphere. And it's roughly around the um, polar circle. Okay, and number four is title for your blog. So if you open a new blog, what title would you give to that? And and guys, are we focusing on science communication or are we going free and crazy? Well, I guess if it's science communication, no? Okay. So, some, something to do with science. Okay, something related with science. Yes. Okay. Okay, so I can't make a blog about Britney Spears. Okay. <laughs> if it's related to science. Okay. I mean, you know, Elon Musk sort of puts a man in a car in space, you know? (laughs) Who would have related that? Um, And number five, made in Switzerland, because you come from Switzerland, or no? Okay, so are we all ready? Yes. Okay. Let's generate the random letter, and then we set the timer. Oh! Oh, oh. Hopefully that's easy. Okay, let's go. Three, two, one, go! Oh. What makes an awesome PI? Observational skills. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely thing that react in the air, oxygen. Oxygen. Oh, right. that's true. And ozone. Also, yes. We have two. What makes an ozone pee? like you know observing your team, con- like, but n- not in a bossy way, like just to keep track of their progress. Yeah. I guess. I will write observing team and then parenthesis not bossy. <laughs> Things in a boreal forest. Oxygen. Well, oxygen and ozone <laughs> as well. Something about the pine trees, conifer. Oh. oh. Title for an title for a blog. Ozone hunters. <laughs> <laughs> Ozone hunters. <laughs> yeah, it would be a blog about, you know, climate change. Ozone. Well, sure. I like it. Ozone hunters. I like it. I feel like we're cheating a bit. It no, happens. we don't put oxygen and ozone in the thing, things in the boreal forest. So think about the plant that starts with O. <laughs> and then made in Switzerland. I, I oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, <laughs> unfortunately. I'm so bad yeah. with trees as well, I don't know. I don't know that, that many trees. And how about in Switzerland? Do you have oak um, clocks made out of oak trees? Probably. <laughs> oak wood. We, we, we are, this we are lost. Um, I don't like when stuff begins with, with vowels. Oh. Oops. 
Hey, that would be a blog. A blog name. Yeah, Oops. So I thought sure. about that, but every time we have oh, I start with oops. <laughs> oops I, would be a blog. I could have conducted it with Britney. Yes, yes. <laughs> oops, I did it again. Yeah. So we have to do the whole thing again, <laughs> again. With, the, with the oh. That, that could be a blog for like a, a field campaign scientist. Like, oops, I did it again. Some mm, blunder should do. Indeed, yes. <laughs> oops, I broke my lab again. Yes. yes. Oh. yes. Britney, we think about you. Oh, no. I lost okay, let's get the, the second letter. Yes. T. T. Not a vowel. I'm happy. Three, two, one, no. <sighs> Time management for a great PI. Yes. Yes. That's perfect. Yes. Do you manage your time well? I I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> Bragger. <laughs> <laughs> time management. Yeah. Things that react in the air. Temperature. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really yeah. Things in the boreal forest, trees. Trees, trees. yes. And Obvious. another uh, a Russian word for that type of uh, environment is taiga. Yes. So can you say taiga? Taiga vegetation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay, title for your blog. <clears throat> the science basement. <laughs> <laughs> 365 days of science. Yes. Very nice. <clears throat> so after one year, you have to close your blog. Made in Switzerland. Oh my God. What's made of chocolate? I started thinking about cheese, cloth, the na- name of some name of some pharmaceutical, but. No, think about some famous person who is born in Switzerland. Oh, true. You might might, might know them better than us. Uh, I have. I'm. I'm blanking. <laughs> <laughs> Things that react in the air with tea. Mm-hmm. How, how about toluene? Yes. What? What is that? Toluene. A, I I know how to write that. It's I'm a compound. Here. Yes. Tea compound. I will write. <laughs> I have no idea how to write that, and I don't know what that is. I will ask after. Let's think about many Switzerland. We don't have a single one yet. Um, uh, can we say the Red Cross? <laughs> the Red Cross. The Red Cross. <laughs> Just in time. Oops. Just in time. So, okay. Uh, what was that tea compound? It's, it's, it's written like this. Toluene. Oh, Toluene. Okay. Yeah. So it has an aromatic ring and then... Oops, a little, like, methane. <laughs> okay, so it's like an hexagon with an antenna. That's how it looks like, yeah, because Arnaud has just drawn that for me. But aromatic, you mean that it has this double bond? Yeah, like this, it means that there are three conjugated double bond in a ring of six carbon atoms. It's very specific. It's a very specific molecule. What does it do? Um, those... those com- Compound with those characteristics, usually they are come not exclusively, but mostly from uh, human activities or combustion and stuff. Okay, so the plants don't produce toluene. No. That's from us. Okay. I combustion. don't think so. so then like, if we smoke, we produce toluene? Maybe? Possibly. <laughs> well, is it like benzene, which is in, in gas fuel? In uh, also, fuel, yes. C- a cyclical as well, aromatic ring? Benzene? Yes, it is. Benzene is the same without this. Without the antenna. Yeah. No, the little antenna. So they are kind of like co- produced kind of with similar pathways and then emitted together. I think. 
Okay. Round three. Oh dear. Also last one. Oh, we did well. We put everything in this one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a bit... The last one is a bit stretch, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's click and go for the last one. And it's tea. Okay, tea again. No, we have to... Yeah, we have to do it again. Yeah. We just had a tea. G. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Let's go. Three, two, one, go. What makes an awesome PI? Greatness now. <laughs> great research. Great project. Great idea. Great idea. Ooh, great ideas. Good humor. Good oh, sense yes. of humor. Yes, okay. that also, yes. That's true. Okay. And things so are reacting the air. Gases. Yes. <laughs> That's a bit too... Uh... Hey, we, we, are, we are super okay with general things. We're very, we're being very general. Um, things in the boreal forest. Green. Green stuff. Green stuff. Yeah. Green stuff. <laughs> in a boreal forest. Yeah. We can go back there, but okay. we have an answer. Okay, we have to think about the other two. Title for your blog. Generally speaking, science is easy. No. <laughs> <laughs> General, general science, general relativity. I don't know. Uh, made in Switzerland. General relativity with Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> made in Switzerland. Goat cheese. Go <laughs> if you cheese. want to go for cheese. <laughs> yeah. Grated cheese. Grated know. cheese also. <laughs> Great cheese. Also. Great chocolate. <laughs> Great watches. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> we, I will put goat cheese. Do we, do, are there goats in Switzerland? Yes. yes. So obviously you make goat cheese. Okay. okay. Goat cheese. Um, okay. So title for a blog. That has to be awesome because it's our last last round. It could, and be, last it could start with Geo, you know. Like oh, that. Yeah. Geo science. Geo. Geo genius. <laughs> Geo genius. Genius. Geniuses, Geniuses of the science. Yeah. <laughs> what? Okay, time is up. But what did we go for at the end? We well, got lost. One of them. I like. I, I think I like Geo Genius. Geo Genius. Yes. So like it's a blog where you explain all stuff about geosciences, like in a very in a very yeah. braggy way. Like yeah, you know, I know it all, bitches. Exactly. <laughs> but I don't know how you have a blog and it's called. Please, you say it because it's a Frenchy word and then... a Frenchy word. No, it's I have it's a, I have combined reactivity and air, so it's reactivitaire. Reactivitaire, very nice sounding. <laughs> it's and, and true that it sounds Frenchy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's really nice because you've you've talked about you've made you actually interviewed people, you've talked about your uh, collaboration that you've done in Japan, you've talked about your field work, so so that's great. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think you have inspired me a little bit in this science communication things. And um, earlier we mentioned like the big step of, you know, becoming a PI. And then I realized before I was always working on other people's projects. So I never felt I should, you know, communicate about it or like, you know, I try to do my work well. But then I realized, okay, now I'm kind of responsible and I want people to know about what I'm doing. And then that's when I, I started the blog kind of, the first publication was the day I started my current project. And yeah, 
uh, I try to update it more or less regularly. And then, uh, yeah, as you say, like I write about my experience when I travel, for instance. Uh, I, I try not to put too much science details, but I like lately, uh, I think the one of the last one was just uh, a short post where I just say, okay, we're going there and trying to kind of try to explain in very broad terms what's the, what's the aim and why we went. Uh, to Hutjela for a specific set of measurements. Yeah, because you, you were also a visiting uh, lecturer in Svalbard. And there you post, you have really colorful socks. So you, you do make it very personal. And I think it's great if you want to see what a scientist, how he, he lives and how he works. That's a, oh, that's you shouldn't have said that. Now I have to hate you. I hate everyone who's been in Svalbard because oh. I'm so jealous. Oh. I so want to go to Svalbard. You should read his post. You can see his, his colorful Okay, thoughts. and obviously we have to, we will link your, your blog in, in the description box. Thank you very much. Also, look, I've been drawing a tree that sweats. Oh. <laughs> oh, by the way, just a like, really quick question. So you're an Academy of Finland uh, fellow, and now Academy of Finland has joined uh, this uh, open science um, movement. So... So anybody receiving money from the county of Finland will have to publish open access. So what do you what do you think about this? Open access means that then the article will be open to anyone to the public. Yes, you don't have to pay without for it. without having yeah. to pay for the article itself or taking us or paying for a subscription for the journal. Yeah. I I think it's a good thing and it's the right direction that we are funded by society by the taxes of the people. So. Uh, it's not. I don't think it's right that other people make a profit out of it yeah. uh, using those like um, like public resources. Um, but I think I also saw that some people are a little bit upset because some of the big journals like Nature or Science they are not per se open source, yeah. uh, open access. Yeah. So then some people are like, well, if I cannot publish in those like high rank journals, then it will be not good for my career in the future. Oh, so but I thought I thought it would have been open access because the academy was paying for the publication fees. No, I think they are not. They're, they oh. want you to do open access and they're even going to. I think that I even read about regulations I mean, to limit the amount of money you can spend in your submission process even. Uh, this I'm not aware of the details. Yeah. I think they will still support your fee of making open access, but I think some of those journals don't have the option to have your research open access. Mm. Or, or, or not the impact part, impactful um, journals. But of course, it's also very good to uh, have your research visible. And, you know, that's uh, often... Like if you, you see an interesting paper, but it's like hidden, and yeah. then you might then go to another paper that is like accessible to you and then use that met method instead or or start to collaborate like it's somehow like hoping that if you have a paper that is easily accessible for a vast amount of people uh you will get those interactions and, yeah. and stuff going on but on the other hand you can also get a lot of spam so it yeah. has both and yeah. both good and bad sides in yeah. my opinion I think just in general we have to maybe modify the idea that a scientist is ranked by the amount and you know amount of papers and where he's publishing. Yeah. Because if we don't have to publish by quantity, then maybe we'll we won't be spammed so much because you don't have to produce that many, but rather really good quality. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, I'm I'm really happy about that. So Stephanie. Yes. To close off, we're gonna go into the anecdote. 
Yes. Okay, so the topic for our anecdote today is toilets. What? <laughs> because on November 19th, so just a couple of days ago, was toilet day. And who, who invented toilet day? Why is there a toilet day? Well, it was suggested, I think, a couple of years ago, but the UN made it official, I think, in 2015. Because the point of it is to bring awareness that, and this is a really, I, I couldn't believe this, over half of the world's population don't have access to either a proper toilet or no toilet at all. And that's a big thing because it's not just, you know, funny that there's no toilet. It's a big thing in terms of health issues. So it it propagates disease because, you know, if you have open air feces, then these are spread either because of poor sanitation, so you're not washing your hands, and they're also airborne, you know, the germs can can travel and, 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 and infect people. And it's also a problem, for example, for school children, because if you go to the UN, they actually have a website. Um, if you go un.org slash event slash toilet day, you can read more about the statistics. Okay, we and will also post that in, uh, yeah, the link. in, the, in the link. And there you can see that um, a really big, a third of school children don't have toilet facilities in their schools. And it's also a problem for like girls with menstruation and so on. So you can imagine that it's, it's really bad for sanitation. So sanitation... Um, and clean water access is one of the sustainability development goals of the UN. So this is this is really impressive. So going back to washing your hands to prevent spread of disease, you know, like um, diarrhea and flu and all of this, which can be prevented if you have clean hands, um, goes back to, this is where the anecdote starts or, or continues, <laughs> to a Hungarian doctor in the 1800s. Ignaz Semmelweis, I'm hoping that's how you pronounce it. So he was a doctor. Um, so people were, there was a, a high mortality rate for women giving birth and they would get fever, childbed fever, which was called. So what he found out was there were two clinics, um, one taken care of by midwives and the other one by uh, doctors. But these doctors, in addition to delivering babies, they were also working with corpses. Yeah. Um. So, so they, they actually, so these doctors were had actually a higher mortality rate for the women who were giving birth than the clinic that was only taken care of by midwives. So when he was trying to find out what was the reason for this difference, um, the funny thing is I, I read that, for example, a, a priest would go by in the hospital ringing a bell um, when there was a death. And at some point, he thought that it was the bell that was scaring the women, making them sick. So he asked the priest not to use the bell anymore. But anyway, eventually, <laughs> the idea was that he found that the doctors were also, and the medical students were also using, um, they were also investigating corpses and washing their hands in a plural way, so not disinfecting them. And then they would go and deliver babies. So all this material was still in their hands, and they were infecting the women when they were um, giving birth. So he then implemented this chlorine disinfectant, um, more to remove the smell that he noticed because of the corpse handling, um, but then that really reduced the mortality. So that's when the idea of you have to really disinfect your hands to prevent diseases um, was... was, was tr He was tr trying to impose that idea. It didn't go that well back then, but that was... That was um, where we started really realizing that, that spreading diseases can be prevented by proper cleaning and sanitation. Wash your hands, kids. Yeah, like really, because it really prevents a lot of illnesses. And it's really amazing 
I mean, 60% of the world, that's over 4 billion people don't that's have access insane. to proper toilet. Insane. It's crazy. I can't believe that. Well, not so, now, now, now I'm wondering, is the summer cottage toilet, the, the outside one, is that considered proper toilet? I don't think so. Yeah, but I don't know if that would be considered in the statistics. Maybe not. Because it's... That's for the vacation holiday house. Yeah. But yeah, toilet day. It's important to be aware of it. So that's it. Thank you, Stephanie, for this story. And thank you, Arnon, for, for, for teaching us about plants emitting stuff, which is stuff that is not either oxygen or carbon monoxide, but... or carbon dioxide. 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 Oh my god. I knew it at the beginning of the episode, then I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. And for thinking that the atmosphere, there's a lot of things going on, even though we don't see it. Yep. Thanks a lot. And let's wait until two weeks when we come up with the next episode. When we come up with a new idea, (laughs) with a new project. Goodbye. See you. Thank you. Bye.